Turn your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. We're going to be looking at those passages and several scriptures this morning. So if you have something to write with, uh, you might just want to take it out and get ready. If the uh, Lord speaks something to your heart, just write it down. Something sticks out to you, write it down. You, you might want to remember it. I'm so excited that you're here today, and I'm so excited about today because we're starting a brand new series called The Blessed Life. And I'm really excited about it because uh, we're talking about the goodness of God, and we're going to talk about His plan to bless your life. How many of you want to live a blessed life? Any exceptions? I'm just curious. How many of you want to live a blessed... Come on. How many of you want to live a blessed life? Yes? Okay, we have 100% consensus. Man, that's way better than anything else. Everybody wants to live a blessed life. Now, this is going to be a a great series, a series I'm very excited about, but it's also going to have some challenging parts because one of the things that we're going to be talking about is giving. Now, how many of you have ever heard anybody say, uh, I don't want to go to church because the church only wants your money? How many, how many of you ever heard anybody say that? Yes? Amen. All right, good. Some of you are being excited about that. Usually when they say, I don't want to go to church because the church only wants your money, it's, a, it's, a, it's meant to be an indictment against the church. It's meant to be a slam against the church. But it usually has nothing to do with the church at all, and I'll tell you why that's true. Because everybody wants your money. Like Walmart only wants your money. They don't want to be friends. Right? Target only wants your money. Bass Pro Outlet only wants your money. The Galleria only wants your money. Right? Alabama and Auburn football programs, you know what they want? Yes! Like, like they don't really care if you're a fan or not. They just want you to buy the ticket and the $81 hot dog. Right? Everywhere wants our money. We just don't complain about it when it is where our idol is or our heart is. So it's really an indictment about us. Now, six years, Stacy and I celebrated with you that uh, we've been serving you as pastor this summer. In six years, I've never done one series on giving. In six years. And this series is going to be about giving, but it's going to be about life. It's going to be about a lot of things. It's going to be about Jesus' involvement in our life and living a blessed life. Now, what is a blessed life? The, the days of a, of a blessed person are filled with divine coincidences and eternal meaning. A blessed person may or may not be wealthy, but they live a life that most billionaires envy. Do you want to live a blessed life? then you got to live life with Jesus first. Now, this series is going to be a lot of fun, so let's have some fun this morning. When you play a game, or you're in a competition, or you're on a team, what's the goal? What's the goal? What place do you want to finish? Okay, look, there's some of you that say, it's not about whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. That's because you never won, right? <laughs> winning is fun. Winning, yeah, like you can get drunk on winning, man. If you've ever won something, winning is awesome. You want to finish first. Now, with that in mind, I want to show you in 2015 uh, the top ten finalists uh, in the Miss America pageant. So uh, we'll take a look here. Here's the top ten finalists in the Miss America pageant. Now, who do you think's the happiest person on that list? Well, 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 right, right. I mean, I look at Miss Arkansas. We go, you know, ble- like we're in the South. So we'll bless her heart. Bless her heart. You know, she tried. 
But like if you're in that stage right there where you really want to be. Now we know all the prettiest women are in the South, right? Just look across that board, right? Come on. Come on. Come on, Southern girls. Let me hear you. So Arkansas, Florida, you see some of this right here? Like they really, like number two. Woohoo! I got number two. But what did you enter the competition to get? Number one. All right. Now, let me talk about something a little closer to your heart. Let me give you the top ten college football, right, where everybody landed. Who do you think the happiest team on that list is? Uh, who? Ohio State. I can tell you it's not. It's not Alabama. Nick Saban's still cursing. Bleep, 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 bleep. That's all you would hear right now. You think he wants to be four? No. Where do you want to end the competition? The only team on that list that's happy about where they are is Ohio State. All right, you're like, man, I didn't know we are going to get that personal this morning. You're talking about football. You're talking about a lot of things. You talk about money, just don't talk about football. I got two questions for you. Where's Jesus in your life? Like if you were to sit down and rank your top ten, what number would you put him at? And, and, and secondly, what place do you think he wants to be in? He wants to be first. Jesus didn't come all the way to earth, live a sacrificial life, die on the cross, so that he can be in anybody's top ten. He died so he could be first. Because he wants to be first. Why would Jesus want to be first? Because Jesus wants greater things for you than you want for yourself. Jesus knows when he's not first in our life, other things begin to fall apart. So let's just get real honest this morning. It's okay to be honest at Kingwood Church. Is it difficult to put Jesus first? Is it difficult to keep Jesus first in your life? Yes. Yes. It's hard. Let's just think about it for a minute. Uh, maybe if you're here this morning and you're a college student and you're trying to figure out what major to take and where to go in life and what to become and you're listening to all the turmoil in the classroom with the teachers who say, you know, the Bible's not true and God's not real and this and that and the other and I'm an atheist and I'm a... If you're battling all that, man, it's tough to live in that environment and have Jesus first in your life. That's a tough environment. It's, it's difficult. Maybe, maybe you're an empty nest uh, couple. Maybe you're uh, facing retirement and you say, man, how, how do I live this stage of my life with Jesus first? Man, it's a battle. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're single. Being single and dating is difficult in our present culture and to think about having Jesus first, right? Look, I was a youth pastor for years. I know I heard it from every teenage girl. I was ever their youth pastor. You know, I, 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 would, I would date a Christian, but all the cute guys are not saved. Right? God, you made him good looking. I'll make him good. Right? What about the guys? Isn't it difficult? Guy, you're going to find a Christian girl. It's difficult to find a Christian girl. It's not weird. Right? What about you guys that are in the marketplace? You ladies that are in the marketplace. Isn't it difficult to follow Jesus in the marketplace? You watch every week. You, you, you guard your integrity. You do the right thing. You do what you're supposed to do. You follow Jesus best you can. And you watch people who you know are cheating. 
You watch people who you know are lying. You watch people who you know are stealing. You watch people who you know are doing it the wrong way and they're passing you sometimes and getting promoted around you. And isn't it tough to follow Jesus in the marketplace? But look, I can tell you hands down, the number one area that people struggle to put Jesus first is in the area of money. And the reason I want to talk about this is not because the church wants your money, but because God wants your heart. Now, I've got a statement that I'm even putting on the screen here because I want you to remember it. If Jesus is not Lord of all, eventually He will not be Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, eventually He will not be Lord uh, at all. If, if we had a top ten and Jesus is number two, because we've got something else in our life above Jesus, our career, our spouse, our family, our hobbies, our goals, dating, money, lifestyle, options, comfort, convenience, whatever it is. If Jesus is second place to that, boy, it's really easy to bump him down to third. And then if he can be third, maybe he can be fifth. And if he can be fifth, maybe he can be eighth. And if he can be eighth, maybe he's not even on the list at all. The goal of a Jesus follower is for Jesus to be the Lord of all. Because if Jesus is not Lord of all, eventually he won't be Lord at all. 1 Kings chapter 17. I want to set this story up and we'll talk more about it next week. We won't get to really get into the middle of the story, but I want to set it up. Uh, If you have a church background, you'll recognize this story, 1 Kings 17 and 18. This is where Elijah uh, was was, um, about to have a showdown. Uh, You can remember, if you were here last Sunday, we ended our James series, our all-in series, uh, when James wrote about this occurrence. He said Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed for it not to rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed for it to rain, and it did rain. That's where we kind of ended that series, and we'll sort of go back to the original story. So let's look in 1 Kings 17.1. Follow me. We're going to jump around to different passages just to get a feel of the story. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, I don't know if you know, all Tishbites are from Tishbe. I don't know if you knew that. It's a very important thing. And Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, Ahab was the king of Israel. Uh, So you can kind of get the context of who he's talking to. He's talking to the king. It's not going to rain because I'm Elijah the prophet and I prayed and it's not going to rain. Now, I don't know if you can feel how big a deal it is to not have rain. We've, in our region, I remember maybe eight or ten years ago, there was a pretty severe drought in this area. But to be honest with you, it didn't change most of our lives much. But that's not at all how things uh, went then. Not reigning in Israel was a big deal because Israel's entire economy was based on agriculture. It was the lifeline of the entire region. It meant jobs, it meant food, it meant life. If you have a a, a region that's completely dependent on agriculture, what's the one thing that you got to have that you can't produce? Rain. Yeah, water. Yes. You've got to have it, but you you can't make it. You can't produce it. You can't make it rain. So now this is interesting thought. God had to crash their economy to get their attention. Now that's interesting. There was a nation who served God and followed God but turned their back on Him and walked away from Him and went after other gods and had 
had to change their priorities where God was no longer first place in their life and God had to crash their economy to get their attention. That's very interesting. 1 Kings 18, 1 and 2. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Now I don't know if you can follow the timeline here. This is the third year of a severe drought. There hadn't been rain in three years. There hadn't been one drop. Not not a little summer rain. Not a shower. There's been no water for three years. So there's a severe drought. That meant unemployment was up. Food was scarce. The entire region was under a strain trying to survive. The famine had been very, very, very severe. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Let's just break from the story for a minute. Is there an area of your life, spiritually, that you would say is as dry as Israel was? Is there an area in your life that you're struggling in, that you're battling in, that it's so dry you're desperate? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's financial, maybe it's a habitual sin that you can't break out of, maybe it's an area that you feel dry and dehydrated and hopeless? Is there an area that you would sort of equate to the condition that Israel was in here? What I hope you'll find today and in the weeks to come is there are no hopeless situations when Jesus is on the scene. Now I want to encourage you, the very first step to take in getting things back in order is putting Jesus first. Not second, not fifth, not tenth, but first. It doesn't matter how your life has fallen apart. Jesus is the foundation that we can build our life on or rebuild our life on. Maybe you're a believer this morning and you're just drying up in some area of your life. I've been constantly amazed. I was telling one of my sons this, uh, this past week. I've been constantly amazed as, as a person who kind of came to faith outside of Christianity, I've been constantly amazed how interested Jesus is in every area of my life. When I first became a Christian, I thought you only saw God at church. I used to go there and visit Him. I thought, you know, it's just it's Sunday, you go visit God, like you're going to visit somebody in the nursing home. They're kind of bound there, they live there, you go visit them, and then you go away and live your life. I can still remember the first time I experienced God's presence outside of a church service. It was revolutionary to me that He was somewhere else. I thought He lived there. It was God's house. That's what we said, right? Well, I mean, that's where he's at. I can remember when I found out God was interested in other parts of my life, and I've been continually amazed how interested he is in everything in my life because he loves me. He's so interested in your life. He's so interested in every part. He has a, a plan. He, has, he wants to be involved. He wants you to talk to him about other parts of your life. 1 Kings 18.5, story continues. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Ahab's the king, remember, go through the land to all the springs and valleys, and maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. Can we just agree at this point it's pretty serious? I mean, I mean, this has gotten desperate. This has gotten to a bad spot. H how about you? Where are you at in your life? How are you doing in your life? How are you doing financially? 
How serious is your situation? Now, whether you're a believer or not, I think we can all agree on this. And I'll just ask you, you tell me if you agree or not. How a person, Christian or non-Christian, doesn't matter. Atheist, saint, doesn't matter. How a person spends their money says a lot about who they are. Yes or no? Yes. Says a lot about what they value, right? Uh, last week, I took my youngest son on a father, father-son trip. 13th birthday trip. And, and we were down in South Florida, and man, there were sports cars everywhere. I mean, you know, like, like, a, like a Mustang and a Camaro was like a, uh, I started to say Pinto, but maybe I would date myself a little. What would be like a knockoff car now? Huh? Pinto, a, a pacer. I had a buddy with a pacer, a fishbowl on wheels. I mean, they're like an average sedan everywhere else in the country. There's sports cars here. We got this one corner. There's a, there's a Lamborghini Ferrari shop. Cars facing each other. He's like, whoa. Then this car passes us in the turning. Whoa. You can just feel the rumble of the road. So the other day, uh, Stacy and I were out celebrating our anniversary. We were over at the summit, and I saw this car, and I went, whoa, it looked like, the only way I can, you, know, you know the uh, multicolored, high-shine, striped running shoes, like all the colors and alcohol? This car looked like a, like a running shoe. I mean, it was, it was cool. It was low to the ground and wide and striped everywhere. And I went, man, that is wild. And so I was just telling him that yesterday. I said, man, I, I saw this car. I've never seen one. I don't even know what it was. I said, this guy got in, and the doors lifted up like a Lamborghini, but it wasn't a Lamborghini. What, what was it? I don't know what it was. I, I, you know what it did? It said BMW on it. He said, look it up and show me. So I looked it up on the phone, and he goes, whoa, that's really cool. He said, how much do you think that cost? No idea. Never crossed my mind to shop. You know what I'm saying? So I flipped on there, and I went, $137,000, our first house cost $75,000, $137,000, I just, I started to get sick in my stomach, because I thought, first off, I'll never have enough money to buy that, secondly, I don't, I, so it was a great moment for he and I to talk. Dad, if you had a lot of money, would you buy that? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't know how I would justify spending that much money on myself. And there are people that don't have a place to live. And they have nothing to eat. And there are missionaries that can't even get to the field. How could I ever take that much money and put it on a car? Would, would you agree with me that the way a person spends their money says a lot about who they are? It doesn't matter how much money a person has. It's how they spend it that says a lot about who they are. 1 Kings 18, 16 through 19, the story continues. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and remember Ahab's the king, he's giving him the message that... that uh, all this is happening. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. So now the king's going to go back to Elijah. Now, now what did you say? <laughs> when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Because everybody knows when something goes wrong, it's all the Christians' fault, right? All the Christians get the blame for everything that goes wrong in society. So here's Elijah. 
Is that you, you trouble of Israel? He said, I've not made trouble for Israel. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of impressed the way Elijah pipes back up. I never know how to handle situations like this. You know, you want to be humble like Jesus, right? You want to be a carpenter. You want to build small things. You don't really want to. You know, it just doesn't feel right to. I, I don't know. I kind of like the spunk. I, I've, I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. Listen, but you and your father's family and your aunt and your uncle and your mom and your grandma and your uncle and your cousin and your niece. I just do all that in. Anyway, it feels like he's, he's like coming back. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring it. That's what he's saying. And bring, here it is, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal. Now this is how we say it, with you. Bring them with you. Bring your mom, bring your dad, bring your big brother, bring your cousin, bring your niece. We're going to have a throwdown. Everybody who eats at Jezebel's table, bring that big old fat head self. <laughs> Throwdown's coming. Can you feel this? I, I, I might have ad-libbed a little. 450 people are about to have a throwdown with one guy. <laughs> God, that's kind of one of those things. You ever feel like you probably shouldn't have ran your mouth? Look at those 450 people and go, yeah. But what's in the middle, now I don't want you to miss this because this is kind of the big deal. And as you think about First uh, uh, Kings 17 and 18, I want you to always remember this context. This is very important. What's in the, what's in the middle of all this throwdown is the economy of the nation of Israel. It is bad. Like it is really bad. And there's unemployment and there's famine and there's people thinking that they may have to kill their livestock and eat them because they can't afford to feed them any longer. The economy's bad. Now, now before we go any further, I want to show you something that Jesus said about money. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now that's very interesting to me because if I was writing the verse or just in reading the verse, I would think it would say you cannot serve God and the devil. Like that's how I would, that's what I would expect to come next. Why did he say God and money? Jesus himself, this wasn't written by Paul, wasn't written by Timothy, wasn't written by Moses, wasn't written by me, didn't come from a TV preacher, didn't come from somebody selling something. This came from Jesus, God's Son, God in the flesh, the incarnate Son of God. Jesus said, and is saying to us, money is the number one competitor for our hearts. Why do you think people get so mad when you talk about it? Because you're pressing against the number one competition in the world for our heart. So I was trying to think uh, about this. How can I illustrate this issue that no one can serve two masters? Right? H how could I illustrate it? How could I... How could I show you this idea in the state of Alabama 
What would be the best way to say to someone, no one can serve two masters? And, and then I think I figured it out. So I want to show you this one. That down there. There. Now that's what I was thinking. No one can serve two masters. Now look, I, I don't really get involved and in things like this too much. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want, football season's about to start so you can feel it sucking in, right? You need to do this like an off season, right? When no, nobody cares as much, which is never in the state of Alabama. But let's just say hypothetically I was an Alabama fan. Hypothetically. And, and let's say that I'm an Alabama fan, but, but, uh, but uh, let, let's say you said to me, well, well I'm... Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm an Alabama fan too, but I pull for Auburn unless they're playing Alabama. Let's just say that's what you said to me. Let's say hypothetically I'm an Alabama fan, and hypothetically you're an Alabama fan who pulls for Auburn unless they're playing Alabama because you just got one that trumps the other one just a little bit because you really want both teams to win. I'm just going to tell you, I'd have to go Harvey Updike on you. That can't work. There's no way that can work. If you're an Alabama fan, you love to see Alabama win and you love to see Auburn lose. Am I right or am I wrong? All right. Now, if you're an Auburn fan, the only thing you love more than the Eagles soaring in the stadium and victory at the end of the game is for Alabama to lose on the same weekend. Praise God. Right? Isn't that good? Ah, It's like getting saved. When Alabama and Auburn both win in one weekend, church is jammed the next Sunday. You know why? Everybody's like, thank God, the world is the way it ought to be. The worst time to pastor in this state is when one team's doing terrible. Oh, man. Least everybody's got some kind of victory to draw off of. If you're an Auburn fan, the greatest day of your life is kick six. Followed immediately by punt, Bama punt. Jesus said... You can't be devoted to God and money. You're going to be devoted to one or you're going to be devoted to the other. You cannot, 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 cannot have it both ways. So he gave us all a way to completely be devoted to him when it comes to money. He gave us a way to do it. You know what that way is? It's called tithe. Or one-tenth or 10%. That's what tithe means. Now, if I had $10, if I had 10 $1 bills in my hand this morning, how, how much or how many of those $1 bills am I supposed to give to God? How many? Which one? The first one. That's what it means to put God first. Now, sometimes you might run into a believer who says, look, I don't, think, I, I don't think that we should tithe anymore because it's an Old Testament concept under the law and we're New Testament Christians under grace and I don't tithe because I'm under grace. I think there's a few problems with that theory. Usually what it means is the person who espouses that theory is educated well beyond their level of obedience. The second thing it usually means is this. Grace always gives more than law. What do you mean by that? Under the law, we sacrificed a lamb for our sin. Under grace, it took the shed blood of Jesus Christ himself. Grace always gives more than law. So how dare you use grace as an excuse to give God leftovers? 
I've never met anybody with that theology who gives more, who, who gives 10% or more. They always give less. Always give less. You remember when Jesus said, uh, in the law it says don't murder, but grace says don't live in anger? Which one requires more? Grace. Grace. I'm filled with grace. Therefore, I am a gracious giver. Uh, you know, you came this morning and you say, look, maybe it's starting to feel like this is another one of those times you know, where the church is after your money. Look, this isn't about the church getting your money. It's about God getting your heart. And I'll prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. Uh, I want you to know the joy and the freedom of having God first in your life so bad. I want you to live a blessed life. Jesus wants you to live a blessed life. You can't live a blessed life unless he's first. I want you to do that so bad, I'll, I'll challenge you. I'll challenge you to start, if you're not tithing, I'll challenge you to start tithing to another church. Take your tithe and give it. If you've never tithed before, if you're not tithing now, and you want to start, you want to accept the challenge, I challenge you to start tithing, and I will give you the name of a church to tithe to in this, in this community. It's not about Kingwood Church getting your money. It's about Jesus getting your heart. Uh, uh, I, I'll put my uh, email address up here. If you email me, say, hey, I want to know the name of a church. I got two in mind. They love this city. They're good Christians. They're responsible with their money. And, and they're faithful. And it would be a very good investment for you to tithe into their ministries. And so if you think all this is about is about, is about Kingwood Church getting your money, then I'm going to tell you right now, I'll give you the name. You email me, and I'll, give you the, I'll email you back the name. Furthermore, you can come and talk to me after service, and I'll give you the name. On top of that, I've, I've texted every staff pastor we got the names of those two churches. You can ask any staff pastor we got, and they'll give you the name of those two churches. And you can tithe them. Tithe. And see what happens in your life. See how your life begins to change. During this entire series, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to know the joy and freedom of having God first place in your life because I am convinced that every human being on earth would be better off if Jesus was at the center of their life. That's my conviction. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we're going to say Jesus is Lord of all, then we've got to settle the money issue. It's got to be settled somewhere. So I'm going to ask our, our worship team to come. Look, Jesus died to set us free. He died that we would be free of habitual sin, that we would live in emotional freedom, that we would live in financial freedom. And, and, and maybe you need to nail the issue down this morning and make it right. Maybe it's time for you to say, I'm looking at my list and if I'm honest with myself and if I'm honest with God, He's about third. And today's the day that I need to make Jesus first. You can give here. We have... Uh, 
three dozen families that started the beginning of this year on a journey we've called the Tithing Challenge. It's where you take, I know it's a daunting idea to go from maybe not giving or giving very little to giving regularly and a, and a set percent. We have about three dozen families that took the challenge that said, I will take the tithing challenge, which is I will give 1% of my income this month, and I will increase it by 1% until I get to 10. And in 10 months, you're on your way to putting Jesus. And you know why we did it that way? Because I know what's going to happen. You are going to go on an adventure where God is going to bless you more than you thought He would. You are going to go on an adventure where God is going to be more faithful to you than you thought He would be. And it will change your relationship with God. That's the truth. So I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. If you want to take the uh, tithing challenge, I'll give you my email address again. And if you'll just email me there and say, hey, help me take the tithing challenge. Help me take the 1%. I I, I just want to encourage you. I want to support you. I want to help you. And I'll do that. Just shoot me an email and say, I want to do it. In your life this morning, I want to ask our prayer team to come. And I'm going to, we're just going to end the service like this. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. And would, would you just lock into a, a moment of prayer with me? Everybody close your eyes. I want to ask you, I just want you to close your eyes because I, you I want you to shut everything else off. And I just want you to shut in with God for a minute. And I just want to ask you a couple of questions. If Jesus is not first in your life today, and you need to get that right, it might be about money. It might have nothing to do with money. It might just be he's not first. Man, today is a great day for you to put God first in your life. And just say, God, I love you. And I want you to be first. I'm struggling in some area. Maybe it's in the marketplace. Maybe it's in relationship. Maybe it's in marriage. Who knows where it is? But I'm struggling today, God, and I want to put you first. If you do put Jesus first, I can't promise you your circumstances are going to change. But I can promise you your hope will change. Maybe there's a sin pattern in your life and you say, it's time, it's time for that to be broken. Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe there's something ranked above Jesus. Maybe it is money today and it's time for you to get that right. Here's what I'm going to do. The worship team's going to sing in a minute. I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss you. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. When we dismiss and the worship team sings and people are kind of getting their stuff together and moving out, Man, I want you to have a time for prayer. So our prayer team is here. I want you to just step out. It's going to take a little bit of courage. It's going to take a little bit of strength. It's going to take a decision on your part. But you say, you know what? God has touched my heart. And I I need to take a step of action on this today. And I need God's help. That's all you're saying. I need God's help. I can't do it alone. And all you're going to do is come and pray with somebody. Nobody looking around in the room. I just want you to lift your hand if you say, I need to put God first. I need God's help. I need strength today. I'm struggling in some area. And I, I need to put God first. And I need His help to do that. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me in this room this morning. Come on, just lift your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, hands. Yep. 
Lift it up. Just lift it up. Yes. Man, I need God's help today. I'm going to pray for you. And then the worship team's going to begin to sing. And we're going to invite you to prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you are the God who wants to bless our life. And the greatest way, the only way to do that is for you to be at the center. And so, Lord, I pray you would touch who you, you came to touch. I pray you would heal who you came to heal. I pray you would minister to who you came to minister to. I pray the one who's stuck somewhere in sin or stuck in a habit, God, I pray you would free who you came to free. And so, Lord, this morning, we yield and we surrender to you in this place. Here's what I want you to do. If you lifted your hand, I want you to simply take a step now toward the prayer table.